Blog Talk Radio. Keenum's going to try to work the ball on the boundary. Buckle up those chin straps. It's time for the Mike and Mike Show with Mike Pettis and Michael Carnahan. If it happens in sports, it happens here. Welcome in, welcome in to the Mike and Mike Show this week. And I guess we kind of got to add another little sound bit there to... Celebrates the Philadelphia Eagles as the world champions now, as uh, Mr. Hicks would like to gloat about. But, Mike, I want to go ahead and start off. I was going to start off with the Super Bowl wrap-up, but I got to go ahead and I, I just feel like this prediction is going to make me like Nostradamus of Mike and Mike at night. But I'm telling you this much right now. So, Mike, you saw the news yesterday that Josh McDaniels was going to be the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. And, then he was going to be the uh, – then, you know, oh, shit, that's not going to happen. You saw that yesterday, right? i seen it. Yes, we did. All the whole world did. Yeah. Apparently, somehow, Mike died in the middle of the intro. Well, <laughs> hopefully, Mike can hear me because I promised him a big prediction. But anyway, looking at it this way, I'm going to go ahead and say it right here, right now. And I mean, I have all the I have all the backup example I need, and the fact that a Boston uh, columnist who has covered the Patriots for a multitude of years has uh, agreed with me, whether it be next week or next year, Josh McDaniels will be the next head coach of the New England Patriots, and it'll happen sooner rather than later. And I say that because he, you, you do not leave an offensive, you do not leave a head coaching position where you make X amount of dollars, and we're talking about a capitalized X for right. an offensive coordinator position where you make a smaller, lowercase X amount of dollars. And I guess until Mike uh, comes back, now, Brad, Mike, you're going to have to disagree with me here. Mike, can you but, hear me? Uh, I mean, Mike, can you I hear think me? it's written in stone at this point. Otherwise, Josh McDaniels does not come back to the New England Patriots. Josh, can you hear me? Daniels is going to take over the head coaching job this season. Maybe he's in line for it, but have we already not had the Josh McDaniel experience, the experiment, I should say? I mean, well, Mike has officially dropped. Maybe he'll call back in, but no. I mean, you obviously there was a reason he didn't take the Colts job, whether it was the fact that maybe Andrew Luck wasn't going to be there. And you take for the example of Bobby Petrino when he took the Atlanta Falcons job under the premise that Michael Vick was going to be there. You obviously don't want to fall into a situation in Mike's back. But if you're Josh McDaniel, you don't want to drop yourself into a situation for failure again. 
And that's definitely what would happen in Indianapolis without an established quarterback. You've had that at, in, in Denver. You tried Tim Tebow. You tried various other quarterbacks in that system. Didn't work for you. So I don't necessarily blame Josh McDaniel for not taking the job. And, and like a couple of other people have said, there was no official announcement really ever made on this. So was this – I don't know. It's like a backroom deal to me that just never panned out. And yeah. whether this columnist says, yes, he's going to be the coach, he's not going to be the coach – who knows, but I don't see Belichick not coaching the New England Patriots next season. Well, and I mean, Mike, I'm not sure if you heard the first little bit of that, but I did say, oh, that, yeah, uh, I you it. know, a Boston columnist is quoted as saying, whether it be next week or next season, that Josh McDaniels is officially going to be the next head coach of the New England And I'll tell you why exactly I buy into this. Where there's smoke, Brad, there's fire. Yep, Remember, this all goes back to Brady, Garoppolo, Belichick, and Kraft. This goes back to those four. And I think this is Kraft pulling, you know, pulling Josh McDaniels to the side, maybe right after the Super Bowl in the tunnel. And they had a I, – I, I'm thinking of, like, House of Cards at the moment because I watched House of Cards last night, and they're having, like, a back – door meeting and they're like sitting there all hushed in a hallway with no with nobody in the with nobody inside or anything whispering huddled together and he's telling them I'm going to screw over Bill Belichick and you're going to be the next head coach Mike what do you think about that man you know what uh in light of that I, I and Mike apparently I think phone issues <laughs> but Brad that's that's the way I see it right now. I see it as the fact that the New England Patriots are getting ready to pull the Julius Caesar, so to speak, or the Montreal screw job on Bill Belichick. Well, if they do, it'll be the kiss of death because, first of all, Josh McDaniels Guys, can y'all hear me? absolutely fall flat on his face. I don't think the guy can coach as a head coach. Even the – well – I don't even necessarily anymore believe that, that the New England Patriots are a like a super spectacular talent-laden team. I think they just have found a way with Belichick to do more with less. And by the way, beginning to front, don't ever talk about my slip-up as your backdoor meeting. It's usually considered a backroom meeting. A backdoor meeting would involve some shit maybe you're into. I get that, but whatever. Um, but no. I don't think Josh McDaniel is the answer in New England. If that's what mayonnaise man wants to come up with or ranch or whatever the hell craft, I don't give a damn. It's not going to happen. It's going to fail miserably. I'm telling you right now, mark it down, fail miserably. Because, A, you got to get a quarterback now. Okay? You've already got Garoppolo. you got Tom Brady. Yeah, but Tom Brady's 40. He ain't going to be around forever. Kraft wants him to stick around forever. We've well, seen that. Well, okay, well, that's fine and dandy, dude, but you're not going to throw 40 touchdowns a season and lead the league in passing when you're pulling AARP. There's only a certain amount of time you have as a quarterback, and Tom Brady's time is coming to an end. Uh, if he plays more than two more years, I would be honestly shocked. I think he's gone on record saying he wants to play another four to six years. So, I mean, it that's plenty of time to draft a quarterback, and we're going to go ahead and try this right here. Are you with us? Yeah, 
Yep, a kid doesn't like me tonight. He's booed me out. We'll get it right. Microphone and Mike. Mike's mic is not working. <laughs> but, I mean, Brad, obviously, if you're this offensive it, genius that Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick obviously think that Josh McDaniels is, then you have plenty of time to figure out a, a solution at quarterback. Shit. Fucking Tom Brady yeah. had the solution at quarterback, and Robert Kraft refused and made – and you guys in San Francisco land are so happy about this. Yes, sir, we are. I refuse to let it happen. The succession plan, Robert Kraft doesn't want a succession plan. And that's the problem that is going to ultimately screw the New England Patriots moving forward. He doesn't want to move past Tom Brady because, let's be honest, he knows that when Tom Brady retires and Bill Belichick's gone, they're going to go in the shithole they were before. 100% yeah, Mike. Am I wrong? No. I don't know the terms about of the New England or what Robert Kraft wants to do with the direction of that team, to be honest with you. I don't follow I root for them in the Super Bowl just so that they'll get their sixth ring. Right. Yeah, why do you want them to win a sixth ring, Brad? I don't know. You tell me. Yeah, exactly, because you're a hater. Cause we're still number one. Woo! Mike, for now. Here we go, Steelers. Here we go. Just saying. Number one on top of the mountain alone still. I'm totally enjoying that fact. But anyway, continuing on, moving on to the Super Bowl. Brad, me and you seem to have a disagreement as far as the Super Bowl goes. I completely put that loss on one play, and that's the fumble. I do not Absolutely do not put it on anything else. Yes, the defense was lackadaisical, but you don't put that on Bill Belichick. You got to put that on the new Lions head coach, Matt Patricia, who, if you want to give him all the credit for the defense, which let's be honest, all the analysts have wanted to give him all the credit all season until this point when they want to blame Bill Belichick, they, you got to give them the downfall. So then that means Matt Patricia takes over the defense. The offense ran like a fucking champ in that uh, both offenses. Let's be honest. Both offenses ran like a champ. Bill Belichick, or uh, for that matter, Josh McDaniels, came in with a great offensive game plan against a great Philadelphia Eagles defense, and they torched them multiple times. But it comes down to one play. Actually, two. The first one, Brady not securing that pass. And we're going to try this once again. Let's see if we get a little bit of dead air here. Hopefully Mike's mic issues are fixed. Mike Pettis, can you hear us? I can hear you. God bless. Can you hear me now? I feel like we're doing a uh, cell phone I can commercial. hear you, Mike. But uh, going you, back Mike. into this, Brad, it comes down to two plays. It comes down to two plays, and I believe – uh, it comes down to two plays, and I believe that the first one has to be the the miss uh, the miss on the uh, catch, and then the fumble. And I'm going to let you expound upon that as we try to get Mike Pettis ready to go. Well, I don't think that. I mean, I think those sort of played into it, but honestly, I believe that Doug Peterson absolutely coached the out coached Bill Belichick. Uh, Having the 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 
fortitude or whatever you want to call it to those critical fourth downs um, that he went for. Calling the play to to Foles in the end zone, the the sweep, reverse, split, pass, that was absolutely incredible. Um, I don't blame the fumble on the loss to uh, to uh, as the root of the the loss of the Super Bowl or the defense. I think you just saw Peterson coach the game of his life. Mike, are you with us? I'm with you. Here we go. Phone issue, I'm assuming. Um, but no. Well, now we have a. Oh, here we got a caller. This caller, are you with this us? Michael. Is this Michael? Michael, uh, Michael, I think there's something going on with the audio. Maybe. Michael. Hang on, guys. We are gonna. Hello. Who is Michael. this? Michael. Mike. Yes. Caller, are you with us? Who do I have here? Yes. Who is this? They've probably been talking this whole time. And we can't hear. Or you can't hear. Hello? Mike Pettis. Yes. Can you hear me? All right. Now, the dumbass that controls the the operation, Michael Carnahan, had it all jacked up. (laughs) Well, Brad's trying. But how much of the show have you heard so far, Mike? Mike, can you hear me? Who is this? Can you hear me? I can hear you, sir. Go ahead. Who am I speaking to? You're speaking with Michael Carnahan. Just the man I wanted to talk to. Is Mr. Brad Hicks there with you? Yeah, he's here. Oh, I bet he's really upset about Saturday, isn't he? (laughs) What's wrong, Brad? You have nothing to say? The the co-commissioner is currently stuffing his face over here, and he's ruining his commissioner clothes. <laughs> oh, it's so fun to hear your voice. Where are you, Brad? I'm waiting. <laughs> I'm still waiting. Cataclysm. Oh, you do know who this is. Yeah, I know who you are. Do you know who this is? Oh, no, no, no. I don't really care who this is. I just want to tell you that I'm sure so many people are rather upset that their little friend Lee didn't win or their hardcore hero, Mr. Mr. Ray Ray, didn't win. Or, or that Mr. Stallion didn't, the little horsey man didn't keep his belt. <laughs> that was so much fun. <laughs> well, I understand cataclysm. 
that that you that you're so happy that you want a belt and all that. But in due time, in two weeks, the infamous one and Gaston Stallion will be back to take whatever's ours. And you know, you can take your show and take your belt, and you can just sit down and you can just kiss that guy because in two weeks we'll be there. <laughs> this is coming from a guy that cannot even pronounce his name correctly, Gaston. No, it is Gaston Stallion. See, if you knew your your client the way you thought you did, then you wouldn't even be able to say his name right. But I will give credit where credit is due. Mr. Stallion is a great competitor. He did what not too many people have done. He put down Deadly Dale. He put down Lee Michaels. He won the ASWF Heavyweight Championship. Too many people can say that. But guess who can now? Because I have it here with me. (laughs) I hear you want to talk to me. You know what, Cataclysm, I'll give you your credit. Not only did you entertain the fans and personally myself with your antics as in that hardcore no disqualification number one contender match, I'll give you that. Not only did you beat Gaston Stallion from wherever that came from, but I'm going to tell you this right now, Cataclysm. You can show everybody the way through pain. You can make your little videos and look through shattered glass. But let me tell you something. When reality slaps you in that mass face of yours, just remember that it's not over. And Joey Britt's not going to be able to save you. Hypnotic's <laughs> not going to be able to save you. Ace is not going to be able to save you. You're not even going to be able to save yourself. Because I'm telling you right now, it's not over. <laughs> you talk about saving. I am the psychotic savior. I don't need anyone to save me. <laughs> the thing is, I can stand up. For myself, I don't need to stand behind other people to show what I'm capable of. And as for you two, honestly and truthfully, Stallion was doing well. He was he had me down, but then Mr. Double J decided to get up on the side of the ring, and the Wolfman. <laughs> he got into the ring. So you only have yourselves to blame for this time. <laughs> but, but I will give you credit. You have formed a very nice little alliance there. And y'all can do big things. Too bad that won't be defeating me. Goodbye. <laughs> well, uh, 
I mean, obviously, ladies and gentlemen, anybody who listens to ASWF Saturday night on every other Saturday night right here on Talk Radio 49 knows that that is the ASWF champion, the new ASWF champion, their uh, cataclysm defeating. Well, hopefully Mike Pettis is listening and you can go ahead and try us again, Mike. Hopefully we can get this audio issue fixed, but uh, we're going to go ahead and get back into what we were talking about after that, uh, after that issue. That fruitcake called in for you, Brad. Well, you know exactly why he interrupted our show, because he's coming after you, and apparently the big man here says he's going to fix his client's uh, falter this last Saturday night in the Valiant Arena, losing the ASWF championship to one cataclysm. But we've got our uh, co-host back ready to resume the show. Hopefully we can hear him. Mike, are you back with us? I'm back, ready to rock, baby. Mike, that was a little bit awkward, but we're going to try to go ahead and get this show back on track here. Mike, Mike. Can you hear me, Mike? Mike Pettis. What happened? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I got you. Yeah, can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, I can hear you. That's right. Can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear, my friend. Okay, so here's here's here before we were rudely interrupted by that guy. Uh, so here's my take on what Michael Carnahan said. Uh, did you hear any of it? Yeah, I caught the uh, talking about the Josh McDaniel theory. <laughs> I, first of all, if You're the Nostradamus, maybe, but um, so here's here's my thought process on and and Mike, I want your opinion, and then I'll give you give Michael back the show. But uh, in that Super Bowl, I disagree that that the fumble was the uh, in the end it did cost them the game to a degree because that possession. You know, that was the possession. But I think where the Patriots lost that Super Bowl was that they absolutely, positively, 100% got outcoached by Doug Peterson. I think him calling those fourth down plays, the Nick Foles passed for a touchdown. I think. Yeah, well, Tom, that's like I told you before, though, Tom Brady was in a different scenario than Nick Foles, who was unguarded, standing there waiting for a pass to come to him. Tom Brady was legitimately in the middle of a route, and the ball was a tad bit overthrown. And I do not discredit Tom Brady or or say that he didn't catch that ball because he sucks, because he's not a wide receiver, and it was a little further than he's used to. Right. I mean – just like I wouldn't say that if you gave the ball to Edelman who threw the ball, he didn't throw the ball absolutely correct because he's a wide receiver, not a quarterback. But, neither did the kid who the but it's a lot easier when you're playing catch, standing still, than so when you're trying to hit a moving target. Let's be honest. 
Was that really the catch? To, I mean, Mike, was the catch was the pass to no. Foles as no. as a difficult pass? No, they were standing there playing catch. Okay, to to allude to what you said, Brad. First of all, a, a lot of credits being taken away from the Philadelphia Eagles. First of all, a, without a doubt, a more talented roster from from top to bottom than the Patriots. Let's get that out the way. That team is loaded with talent. Second of all, I agree with Brad Hicks. The great Bill Belichick got outcoached. He was outcoached in the Super Bowl. Not only was he outcoached, they met a team that was not intimidated, didn't give a damn about who the Patriots were, and they were in it to win it. They played to win, as you alluded to, the fourth down calls, some of the play calling on offense. So we need to give more credit to the Philadelphia Eagles for taking that game more so than what the Philadelphia, what New England didn't do. Let's remember on that play, they were down, behind, down in distance. It was what? Third and 17, third and 12. I mean, the defense did its job on that drive. That fumble did not dictate the outcome of the game. You know. No, it did. It just kind of. No, and you know. It did not. It did not I at all. I forgot about that. So, like, I actually forgot about yeah, the down and distance on that. Yeah, they were. They were. It took like a sack, and it was. They were behind down and distance. They wouldn't have got it anyway. The thing that the Patriots were hoping for is the Patriot way was a. Uh, uh, some type of Hail Mary or some type of errant pass, and the refs threw a flag. That's what they were looking for. It wasn't going to happen Sunday night. When you saw Gronk in that last play, when you saw Gronk running alone, even I, I verbally yelled out Gronk. Yeah, you exactly. Hold your you had to hold your breath. You watched because Kobe not Bryant. Only, not only was he going to make a play on Kobe that ball, but the flag, Mike. But the flag. Not only was he going to make a play on that ball, but – you have to be weary of that yellow thing, the flag, because that would have put the ball where? At the one-yard line. On an untimed so, down. Right, on an untimed down. So they score and try to get a two-point conversion to send the Super Bowl to overtime. But, man, like Brad said, the Patriots were physically whipped, outcoached. Let's get that out the way. We got to give credit to the Philadelphia Eagles. They were hungry, and they took their championship home. And I especially got to give credit to the MVP, who Brad seems to want to discredit for a lot of reasons, Nick Foles. Nick Foles, I believe, did put on a masterful performance against a great Patriot defense. I think he did exactly what he had to do to be able to pick up this I would say a great defense, but I would say a, a, a damn good team and an opportunistic defense. I mean, stats don't lie, but at the same time, the Patriots don't lie you. Name three defensive stars on that team. Well, well, Mike, here's my thing, and here's why I'm, I'm not discrediting what Nick Foles did as a quarterback. What I'm, what you I can. told Michael was, no, but you can discredit to, you can take, you can tarnish it a tad bit. If you look though, you look at that running game. That was a team. The cast of characters, like I said, and we could play the tape back. When Carson Wentz went down and I made an appearance on this show and, and, and Michael said that the Eagles were done, they were finished, and I told everybody that all Foles has to do is keep his foot on the gas and keep the car in the right-hand lane and everything would yep. be fine. And the thing hey. about it is, is you go back and you look at the Philadelphia Eagles – 
You look at the effort. This was a Super Bowl that they wanted. This was a team that finished dead last in the NFL last year for the most part. Dead last. You have a coach that was coaching high school football 10 years ago in Doug Peterson. They wanted to make a statement, and those guys, first of all, let's look at yards after contact in the Super Bowl on the running plays. They refused to go down. They were not going to be denied, not going to be denied a Super Bowl this year. And that, to me, says a lot about the character of this Philadelphia team and the fact that these people, these, this team had heard enough. They were like, well, y'all are done, y'all are done. No, that was motivation. That was fire. Oh, they were the underdog. And I just, I, I'm sorry. I'm not saying that Foles, I don't think Foles played absolutely amazing. Even though, it's statistically speaking, he was really good. But I yeah, think you had Alshon you, Jeffrey. Alshon Jeffrey, oh, in my yeah. honest opinion, is who should have gotten, who should have gotten the, uh, the honest to God uh, MVP. Yeah, but Brad, you you look at the overall story. Nick Fall comes back to Philadelphia. Philadelphia somewhat saves the day. But was it a team effort? Yeah. But as we all know in the NFL. The spoils goes to the victor. So a quarterback, he's definitely going to get the credit, you know, if they do prevail and win a game of this nature. And he he can definitely be the escape goat as well. So, man, give Nick Foles credit, man. A, a couple of weeks ago, about a month ago, we were looking at this offense and saying, you know, because I, I initially predicted that he would do fine in, in one of the shows about four weeks ago. And I came back and said I was having, you know, Second thoughts about it, but let me tell you something, Hicks. What Peterson did, he sat down with this guy and said, what are your favorite plays? They shrunk the offense. They did things that catered to his talent, getting rid of the ball quicker, quick reads. You know what I'm saying? Allowing him not to think too much, just read and react. And it translated to success because that famous play where you have the reverse, the throwback deal to the quarterback, y'all know what a lot of people don't recognize? Where did Trey Burton play football at? Where did Trey Burton play football? Was the it University of Florida. He played quarterback. Now, did he suck? Yes, he sucked. He was crap, but he's a great athlete. So, he resurfaces in the NFL as a backup tight end. New England dropped the ball on that. They should have seen that coming from miles away. They should have okay. seen that coming from miles away because – this guy is an ex-quarterback. He played collegially. He played quarterback. Granted, he changed positions. He still has quarterback in him. So that was a great play, great play call, man. you got to give credit to Philadelphia. I'm happy Nick Foles was the MVP. He earned it. He made a lot of people shut up. The naysayers had to shut up. Now he's about to go get a job and make some decent money. Well, and see, that's my, my thing is – is we've seen the Nick Foles experiment several years in a row. And I just – Yeah, we have. I'm not taking – like I said, I've never lost faith in Nick Foles as a quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles in this particular situation and team. Do I think that Nick Foles is the guy that you – okay, perfect example. As a 49er fan, I don't believe that if you took Nick Foles and dropped him into that lineup – that they would win the last five games like Jimmy Garoppolo did for the 49ers. Oh, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. Less talented team, though. 
saying, though. So therefore, you got to marginalize Paul's success on the Super Bowl because unless you stay in Philadelphia, that's the only place you can make and demand big money because any other team's going to go, well, then I'm what I'm going to have to do is revamp my entire team around that Philadelphia team and player personnel to be successful with Nick Foles. He's never had much success anywhere else. Well, and Brad and Mike, you both. I, I mean, Brad, you saw yourself agreeing with this man quite a bit this evening, Skip Bayless. In his post-game wrap-up on Facebook Live said, congratulations, Philadelphia. You now have your quarterback controversy. I believe that there Not is a legitimate all. quarterback controversy. Not I think that. At- Oh, you're telling me Carson Wentz comes in and follow me here, Mike. Follow me. Carson Wentz comes in first play of the game. He he exceeds expectations. He is there week one. Carson comes in, throws four interceptions. You're telling me that that Philadelphia crowd and then Philadelphia fans aren't pl- replaying Super Bowl 52 and saying it's not Nick Foles. Yeah, but see, Mike, that's why you don't let some of those, you don't let those morons, not the drunk, the drunk ones, the inebriated ones, not everybody, but you don't let those morons dictate your team or run your team. So that's out the window. Um, Carson Wentz, young kid, very talented. What's that? His, his junior campaign in the NFL? Come on, man. Quarterbacks don't have bad games, but you don't have a knee-jerk reaction. Carson Wentz is your future. It's not Nick Foles now. Granted, he helped him win the Super Bowl, it was a team effort. It was definitely a team effort. He just didn't wreck the car, if you will. To allude to what Brad said, do you gamble and give this guy a bunch of money? Maybe not. But remember, guys, this is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately league. He's the Super Bowl MVP. You can't take that from him, no matter how he got it or what fashion it came to him. So with that being said, somebody's going to take a chance on this dude, man. Now, is he going to get ridiculous money? Maybe not. But somebody's going to give this guy a shot. Mark my word. It's going to happen. Because that's what the NFL is all about. What have you done for me lately? Oh, I'm just a Super Bowl MVP. Well, in the, but in the same regard, I think that if you're an owner or you're a GM, you have to go back. And I'll mention one word. I'll mention one name to you that, that has the same credentials that Nick Foles does, and that's Trent Dilfer. Oh bullshit! Bullshit! Super Bowl champion quarterback. Bullshit! How about the guy? Two how totally about the guy that played the Denver? Austin Wilder, Brock. Now, see, so you look at something like them, you're like, ah, I don't know if I should, uh, you know, take this big chance like that by giving this guy all this money because he just came off a Super Bowl being surrounded by a great defense and pretty much a great team. It's kind of the same thing as Denver a few years ago. I call bullshit on that, Mike. You got to be careful. You got to be careful, Mike. I I call bullshit on that, though, because Trent Dilfer wasn't expected to make those plays. It was a run-heavy offense in Baltimore. I know Baltimore better than anybody. It's a run-heavy offense. And you look at – and he's not the MVP. But you look at the guy – and you look He's at a different. pass-heavy offense versus a run-heavy offense. True. Foles was more than just driving the car. Yes, he's the Super he Bowl plays. champion, Brad. He made, he made, he, he made plays when, plays when plays had to be made, so you have to give him credit. But he was put in position to do so. He was surrounded by great talent. So you can't take that away either. Basically what I'm saying is, man, do you 
I'm agreeing with Brad. Do you break the bank for this guy? Of course not, you don't. Do you sit down and maybe negotiate a fair, you know, market value deal? Yeah, he's going to get a shot somewhere, man. Even he goes somewhere and say, hey, man, you know, I'll be your backup. He's going to get a shot somewhere, but I think he's going to start. I think he's got to be the highest paid backup in – I think he's got to be the p- highest paid backup in the league. And he's locked down for another year. But, Brad, I mean, you've often told me put my money where my mouth is. I look at it this way, Mike. I'm willing to state this on the record right now. I would take Nick Foles as the eventual successor to Ben Roethlisberger right now. Whoa, 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 Brad. Did you hear that? Yeah. Whoa. Whoa. Right now, I would take Nick Foles in the right scheme with the right amount of talent around him, that being Pittsburgh. And there is a lot of offensive talent. Both of you can agree with that. To supplant his mistakes or to hide his mistakes or his downfalls. And the man should be a phenomenal quarterback in Pittsburgh. Hey, Ben Roethlisberger is a sub is a mediocre average quarterback that's surrounded by good talent. No. That's what you, yeah. I'm, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that Foles in the right system would shine. Ben goes above and beyond that system and would be a great quarterback in any system, in my opinion. But the thing is, right now, you don't have to worry about that. You have to look past Ben. But we're getting into a little bit of uh, – a little bit of shadiness here. We're talking about the Super Bowl, so I'm going to go ahead and leave that where it was. And we're going to kind of draw some parallels to what I was just talking about, though, because I, I, I've been waiting to talk about this since Sunday when it happened. I said it at the TV. I shouted at the TV, karma. Mike, Brad, was it karma or was it a completely different play that Zach Ertz touchdown? Let me let me tell you the big difference. He completely, he clearly broke the plane. He he flew over it. So, and when he landed in the end zone, the ball popped out. Now the only difference. Now I, I agree. The James touch, the James play was a touchdown. Don't get me wrong. He broke the plane, but it was a little bit more questionable because we're talking about the tip of the freaking iceberg there, the tip of the plane right there. So you can almost question that. Well, did he actually break the plane? He did. Don't get me wrong, Mike. But Earth flew over the freaking plane. He flew into the end zone. I Not agree. The one says, line. That's the one centimeter line, but he flew completely in the end zone. Brad says he took three steps, which is true. He did take three steps. Yeah, but I didn't even I think mean, about the steps. Yeah, he made play. I mean, he made a football play. You know, you're, you're looking. The way I look at it is this. You look at it and I say this. He still made a football play, Jesse James did, and lunging for the end zone, but that's getting into something different. So, I mean, Mike, first off, this is call number one of two that was obviously controversial, at least in Boston fans' minds. Uh, Touchdown or no touchdown? I say touchdown guaranteed all day, every day. Man, it's a touchdown. They need to quit being sore losers and suck it up. That that fumble in, in, in two thousand what? In two thousand one, two thousand, that wasn't yeah. no fumble with the Raiders either. 
that was a fumble. There wasn't no pass or Tuck Russo. We could sit here all day and talk about that. Suck it up, Patriots. Very true. Very true. I just enjoyed shouting Comrade, a very similar play. But then you look at play number two, and I I believe you you look at – I believe it was – I forget the receiver, but he – uh, he doesn't really maintain. This one's a little bit more questionable about possession in the back of the end zone. I, I, I mean, I still Clement, say that. I say no touchdown. The, Honestly, the I really do. I say that he didn't maintain possession until the foot touched uh, uh, the white line. Are you line. talking about on the wheel route? On the wheel route? Yeah, running back, Clement, I believe so. That was a touchdown, right? You think he had possession before his foot touched the white line? Yeah, he took two steps, man. He drugged. He took two steps. He got it in. He had the ball secured. But the ball was, was moving. Awkward. It was awkwardly secured. He had it kind of – I mean, if it's moving in the process of your catch, you better have it secured by the time you hit the ground. Because you've seen a lot of times guys are really trying to grasp the ball and a lot of times when they fall, they can't complete the catch. It comes out or it moves when they hit the ground. So once he hit the ground, he had it secured. I agree with that. But, I mean, you look at it, you look at it, and I feel like his foot did that left foot the second yeah, time it touched, it, did touch that white line. But you got to yeah, wonder, whole, just like you said, was possession, was possession secured at that point? Even though the ball was moving, I mean, I think so. And, and the the call, and you know what, man? Another thing is, it's it's kind of inevitable what the call's gonna be once you review it. If you can't figure out what the hell happened, and you made the call on the field, you know. So if I call the touchdown and we can't, you know, conclusively, conclusively say, hey, man, I think this thing moved and. You know, we can't get on one accord and say it's going to be a touchdown. Because the rule says what? You can't overturn it if it's inconclusive. So, you know, maybe that needs to be looked at. But I felt it was a touchdown, you know, all in all. I did. But does the thing need to be revisited, the rule? We need to get this thing figured out, man, because you're costing people games, money, contracts. It's a domino effect. We need to make sure they get it right. Definitely. I mean, you look at the catch with Jesse James, it's the difference between playing the Tennessee Titans and losing to the Jacksonville Jaguars. So, exactly. who knows that? Exactly. Right. Right. You got a point, Mike. So, you know, it's time to for the rules committee to sit down with the, with the players association and they get this thing right, man, because it's just going to get uglier, man. It's going to keep causing costing people games, contracts, bonuses, and so forth. So, it's time to get that right. Well, and Roger has said he wants to uh, simplify the rules, so to speak, here moving forward in the off season. But, Mike, I really didn't get to get your opinion on what we were talking about before we got into the Super Bowl. Josh McDaniels, we were talking about him, and I said that uh, according to according to the Boston Herald guy, uh, that he thinks that Josh is going to be the guy moving forward. Josh, I'm going to, or Mike, I'm going to plead my case here. And I say this, this just adds, this just where there's fuel, there's fire, where there's smoke, there's fire. This feeds into the Brady, Belichick, Kraft, uh, Garoppolo deal. And I honestly believe that there is a, some backroom deal going on. And I believe that Kraft told 
Bell told told uh, Josh that it was over. Otherwise, why do you leave a guaranteed larger salary? No matter what, you know, no matter whether you had a option of potentially uh, losing Andrew Luck, potentially losing, you know, somebody else, they still had a little bit of talent on that team, T.Y. Hilton and others, that I think that Josh McDaniels could have at least he he could have limped through it at least for that salary that they were offering him. Whereas now he's going to go back and take millions of dollars off the table. And I, yes, that's millions with an M to go make a couple hundred thousand dollars as a coordinator in New England. Mike, when you're when when, when you're regarded as one of the premier guys in your profession and your field, if you will, one of the premier offensive coordinators, your ultimate goal is to do what? Get a head coaching job, correct? So, this tells me two things. One is he's not wholeheartedly comfortable with the uh, Andrew Luck situation, the injury. He's not wholeheartedly comfortable with the current roster that they have, okay, on, on, on the on the Colts end. On the Patriots end, it tells me another thing that I don't know if this guy put a date on it, and I know he probably did, but Kraft told him something in the aspect, hey, man, stick around. Look, you're probably the coach and wait. I'm not going to say it's next week. I'm not going to say it's next year. I'm not going to say it's 2020. But we want you to stick around. We want you to keep this well-oiled machine going, if you will. So he was told something, man, for him to stick around like that. You can't convince me that he was not. Now, is this with the blessing of Belichick? Probably not. Who cares, guys? Well, we got to realize this is his team. He owes – the one thing he owes Belichick is definitely respect. Belichick has, has brought a lot to the Patriots. Hell, he is the Patriots. But at the same time, as an owner, it's his job to keep this thing going, keep this franchise at the top as long as he can. A lot of owners are not kind of injected into their franchise and, you know, kind of hands-on like he is. He cares about this. This is his passion. It's not like a hobby to him. He don't care if they win or lose. You know, he makes a few dollars. You know, you, he's visible with this franchise. You see his face daily anytime you see the Patriots. So he wants to keep this thing going, man. And he knows Father Time's undefeated. Mike Belichick doesn't have long. Tom Brady doesn't have long. I couldn't keep Garoppolo. I probably won't be able to keep Belichick. But what I can is keep a person that was a part of this great run that understands the Patriot way. So, yeah, I'm going to try to keep this guy around. I just lost Patricia. Right. I just lost uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. Each year it gets harder, Mike. Let's face it. It's harder to stay on top than to get and there if you get my drill. It, it's hard to do that. It's difficult. In the In the, so, uh, you know, in the favor of full disclosure here, you know, people are even talking about potentially losing Gronk to retirement with all these injuries. I'm not sure that I buy that one as much as I buy, you know, the heat on the Brady and the Belichick. But, you know, people are talking about that. He ain't going nowhere. That was just that was just uh, post-Super Bowl emotion, man, you know, coming off a big loss after a great game because he had a slow first half, first quarter, but he woke up. You know, it, you know what we expect this dude to say. And the reporters and the media killed me. They going to throw a microphone in your face after, you know, one of the biggest losses in your career, you know, at an inauspicious time. What the hell they expect you to say? 
Yeah, I'm going to give you something to, you know, talk about. I might retire, man. Get the hell out of my face. You know, he doesn't want to talk. You talk to Gronk a month or two from now, he's going to be full steam ahead, ready for the next season. He will be in a Patriot uniform next year, guys. He's not retiring. I'm not so sure. He's not. I don't think Gronkowski retires, but I'm not so sure he comes back to the Patriots. Is he on the contract? I don't. What is his contract status? I believe, I believe he's got two more years. So, so if it, I mean, obviously, you think he's gonna? So obviously, they'd have to trade. So what makes you think that Gronk wants to be traded? Because you ain't gonna trade Gronk unless he wants to be traded. I believe that if okay, if you believe the hype that you're buying into this big controversy of yours, then I think if this is true, then you're gonna see the cards start to lay themselves out, the dominoes fall, and you may see. If Belichick and there's this big riff with Kraft and this non wanting to move forward, then why would you stick around? I mean, it's the same thing that people criticize LeBron for. Gronkowski's a champion. He wants to be a champion. Nobody wants to play on a team where the owner is putting all his eggs in the Tom Brady basket. And if that's legitimately what's going on, Gronkowski would have to know the situation, being an internal insider, a player in on that team. So maybe there are hints that what you're talking about, Michael, is true. And maybe Gronkowski doesn't want to play under Josh McDaniel. If Josh McDaniel is your head coach, I wouldn't want to play for him, especially if I don't have a quarterback. And, Mike, like I was talking about, I said the only reason I don't buy McDaniels, the the, the only thing that I bring up about McDaniels to Indianapolis was, is we've seen what Josh McDaniels can do when he doesn't have a quarterback. And if Andrew Luck is not the quarterback of the future in Indianapolis, whether it be the injury or they just feel like he's uh, used up or has had his moment in the sun, McDaniel doesn't want to go fall flat on his face, to be honest. So there's a reason he may not be in the Colts organization today. But if it's true that everything you're talking about and there's smoke and fire and these reporters, maybe Gronkowski sees the writing on the wall and it's time for him to get out and go. Because – Let's face it, Gronkowski, I don't buy the fact of, oh, I just you just put a microphone in front of me in the middle of the Super Bowl. I think the dude is well-calculated, <laughs> outspoken, and legitimately says what he's thinking. I like that. I mean, how many times have you seen Gronkowski really just say something without thinking it? I mean, okay, maybe it sounds like he didn't think it out, but Gronkowski's one of the most outspoken dudes I've ever met in my life. He kicked Jenner Mahal's yeah. ass at WrestleMania. <laughs> yeah, he's a lot. You know what? He's a lot smarter than he comes off you know, to be. You know, he, he gets the sense the jump, the dumb jock kind of, you know, stigma. But he's a lot smarter than people think. But my whole thing is, man, it it may not apply to him, but it's hard to throw a microphone in a guy's face, ask him, you know, certain things after a loss. You might not get the, you know, get a clear-cut picture of the honest answer that you would if, you know, if it wasn't such big emotion there. That's all I'm kind of saying. I don't think he I mean, would want to play for the Patriots without Brady and Belichick either. I don't see that. But you know what? You were telling us a customer. Um, but you know what, though? Sorry, Mike. I was taking a picture of my new mod. Brought to you by Subone Vapors <laughs> in Sherwood, Arkansas. There you go. Built it. But, but anyway, no, I mean, just I think when you stick a microphone in front of a player after a big game, you're getting the truth. Richard Sherman 
didn't make any shit up when he said that he's the greatest and you put a punk-ass receiver in front of him like Crabtree. I hate to say that because that was against the 49ers. But Sherman was telling the truth. Sherman at one time was – Sherman at one time was better than Revis Island. All those guys. You didn't go at Richard Sherman unless you wanted bad stuff to happen. That's bottom line because Richard Sherman said so. I mean – you didn't yeah. come at Richard Sherman with some weak shit or, or anything like that. I mean, yeah, I'm just telling you. We're talking, about, we're talking about a special, a special player and a special athlete, too. So, yeah, I get that. So is Brock. But, you know, Brad, yeah, we'll see. Me, I hope not. Now, are you saying that? Maybe Gronkowski uh, wants to go catch passes from his former backup quarterback. Yeah, maybe he wants to come out west, you know. Hey, you know, I definitely be upset about it. One thing I want to ask you about is a lot of people said that a lot of people said that Belichick had an issue, and you know, if you buy into the conspiracy theory, which right now that's all it is, if you buy into the theory that Belichick has a problem or Kraft had a problem with setting up a successor to uh, Tom Brady. How do you think it makes Belichick feel knowing that Kraft is not so behind the scenes setting up his successor? I mean, that seems like a – it seems like it seems like drama. It seems like high school drama, and it's petty. How how do you think that makes one of the greatest hey, head coaches of all time feel? Guys, are we biblical here? Are we living for hundreds of years? Come on, man. Father time is undefeated. Eventually, you're going to have to leave and be replaced. I would love for Bill Walsh to be in San Francisco forever. You know what I mean? Come on, man. Let's, let's be rational here, man. Are we, just, are we just scared to let go? Is that the problem? Because, you know, you get a job to be replaced. One day you're going to be replaced. I agree. You know? I agree with that. I think so, we're buying too much. We're putting too much stock into this thing, man. Yeah, that's what he's supposed to do. Belichick ain't gonna be around forever. Tom Brady ain't either. You squeeze everything you can out of the turn up and you move forward. I agree with that. So, Mike, now I gotta ask the question. You knew it was coming. We've labeled him as the goat on this show. Me and you both. Whose legacy is hurt more by this Super Bowl loss, Bill Belichick or Tom Brady? And do you still consider Tom Brady the greatest of all time as far as quarterbacks go? Oh, you can say arguably, but I'm going to still go with Joe, not being a homer. Joe's undefeated. He ain't lost the Super Bowl. So you can give him that check. Um, Legacy-wise, it it doesn't too much tarnish Belichick's legacy. I mean, his demeanor and his his personality kind of plays into this. He doesn't give a damn. He's a winner, so – that doesn't too much tarnish him. Maybe Brady a little bit. What is he, five and three? What's his record? Right, exactly. Yeah, uh, one guy tweeted on Facebook, not tweeted, but he posted on Facebook. He said, Jordan, he threw three greats out there and said how they were undefeated. He said, greatness, this is what he said. He said, greatness doesn't suffer three losses. And a game of that magnitude, something to that nature. So if you look at it, right. you know, Joe's undefeated, man. Yeah, let me so I don't know what is what, what, where do you go with that? Do you say, well, he's been to eight, you know, he's been to more than a Joe Montana. 
but his record his record isn't unscathed. You know, he has three well, defeats. Well, the, the thing and about it look, too, though, is Joe Montana number and just making the comparisons like I was making to Michael, and I will give feed him out real quick. Was number one, Joe Montana uh, has has. I mean, yeah, he's had a little bit more talent I'm all day, every day. But the simple fact of the matter is, is it's immeasurable how many Super Bowls Joe Montana could have won when the 49ers made the decision to trade him in lieu of the quarterback that I still, honestly, not taking away from Joe Montana, but I still think Steve Young, I preferred Steve Young over Joe Montana for his versatility in the pocket. I thought Steve Young was a more mobile quarterback, but Joe Montana now, was Brad, a better quarterback in the with his arm and his mind. Now, Brad, now it's funny you said that because people look at me like I'm a total idiot when I say this. Joe Montana was the best quarterback all the time, but my favorite quarterback was Steve Young. But I agree with you. I, does, I love, that, does that make Steve sense? Steve Young could make plays that Joe Montana right. couldn't, but Joe Montana right. could make mental plays that Steve Young couldn't. Right, but you can tell both were coached and mentored by the great Bill Walsh because what did he do? He used their talents well, to the max. Well, Mike, he got the you, most out of those guys. Well, Mike, let me ask you this. You, you Since you said that about Bill Walsh, I watched a documentary, a little 11-minute blurb on something. I want to ask you something. With the influence of Bill Walsh, which Bill Walsh – God rest his soul, no longer with us. But he was around the organization in 2000. And the reason I bring that up is because the San Francisco 49ers passed on Tom Brady in that draft. Not because yep, Now, yep. knowing what we know now, that was the dumbest thing ever. But back then, the intangibles were not there for Tom Brady. No. It was a gamble, and know. it paid off. But with Tom Brady, with Bill Walsh's influence on Tom Brady back then, where do you think, in your mind, Tom Brady would be it had the 49ers drafted him and stuck him in that lineup? It's unthinkable, man. It's uncomprehensible. <laughs> I mean, with that talent, I can't I mean, think of yeah, it's 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 uncomprehensible, man. With I mean, wow, sky's the limit on that, man. Because you're talking about one of the smartest, and not the smartest mind to ever. Step for this planet when you start talking about football and offense. Look at the Patriots now, man. It's a modified version of the West Coast offense. I'll throw a three-yard pass. You know, I'll throw a pass of three yards to to, to to supplement for my running game. I mean, it's ingenious, and it happens today all over the NFL. You know, it's spotted. It's more down the field and more a little bit more spread stuff. But the West Coast influence is everywhere, man. The Bill Walsh influence is everywhere around football. You see it daily. So, not to get off track, but with that being said, the sky's the limit, man. Ain't no telling what this guy. He would have shattered. This day and time too. So with the Niners, oh man. I put the loss on both of them. Equally or? I mean, I would say Belichick. I think Bel. I think honestly, I honestly think in my mind that that as calculated as Bill Belichick is in his career, that. He they they totally underestimated the Philadelphia Eagles. 
and they totally did not game plan properly and or efficiently. I believe, honestly, that they thought we're the New England Patriots. We were down 28-3 to against Atlanta. We came back and we beat Atlanta handily, easily at the very end. We got this. No big deal. They're going to fold. We're going to put the pressure on. We've got a more experienced quarterback, more experienced tight end, Snapchat over there, kiss my ass. Um, so, in all honesty, I think that Bill Belichick literally got out coached and Tom Brady got outplayed. I think that they relied too much on who they were and what they could do and what they have done. And the Philadelphia Eagles – they flew away with the championship, and that will probably forever haunt Bill Belichick. I don't care what anybody says. Well, Brad, I mean, point, we definitely. I mean, history is written by the winners in this case. That's going to be the Philadelphia Eagles, and it will be interesting to see, you know, what they all actually said going into the America's game for the Philadelphia Eagles at all. I believe it comes out the year after. But, Mike, we're going to take a quick commercial break right here, and we're going to be right back. When we come back, we're going to talk signing day. And the Florida now commit that was supposed to commit to Alabama, and his mom got off, got up and walked off stage whenever he committed to Alabama. Absolutely hilarious, in my opinion, but also heinous for this young kid who was getting ready to commit to probably have the biggest day of his life and his mom stole the spotlight from him. We'll be right back here on Mike and Mike at night right after these messages. Staying up to date with Talk Radio 49 has never been any easier. Go to Facebook, look up Talk Radio 49. If there's a particular show that you were interested in, check it out. American Idiots Podcast, Behind the Curtain, and many more. Also, hit us up on Twitter. That's Talk Radio underscore 49 on Twitter. Again, staying connected, it's all up to you. It's social media and Talk Radio 49 working to keep you connected. Are you looking for the best deals for your vaping needs and accessories? Then check out the guys at Sub-Ohm Vapors. With daily specials on a wide selection of mods and juices, they will surely become your one-stop shop. Ray and the guys at Sub-Ohm Vapors located at 6929 JFK Boulevard, Suite C in North Little Rock, Arkansas. Want to see you? Join them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. But more importantly, visit the store or call 501-392-6487. Sub-Ohm Vapors. Vape it like you built it. And here we are back on Mike and Mike Night. Big day today in college football as it was National Signing Day. A veritable Christmas for all fans. I possibly probably could care less about National Signing Day because of the fact that I think it's a spectacle. I think this is where you, you become into this entitlement society of players where 
They can do whatever. And honestly, the biggest thing that I took out of National Signing Day was the fact that maybe there's more to the Kirby Smart experiment in Georgia than meets the eye as Georgia securing the number one class. Mike, that's in that to me is impressive in all actuality. And if you're saving, you gotta be like, Well, crap. <laughs> you know, that's goodness. I've seen the numbers, man. They got like fifteen five stars, like twelve four stars. The rich keeps getting richer, man. But you got to tip your hat to Kirby Smart. He's a good coach. He's in a great situation at a great university, a great conference. So Georgia's going to be good for a long time, much to the chagrin of thirteen other teams. I mean, you look at and another interesting tidbit of information that we haven't seen since the Mac Brown era. Texas securing a number three spot. James Franklin over at Penn State, number four. Dabo Sweeney out at Clemson, number five. I can't remember who coaches USC. But, you know, in another deal, too, though, you look at, a, uh, speaking of Georgia, their former coach has the Miami Hurricane back up in the U status at number seven, uh, the cat that took over at Oklahoma in number eight. Nick Saban and Alabama honestly falling down to number nine is where I'm sitting here going, holy hell. Well, guys, guys, look, people people are tired of getting recruited by Alabama, just getting recruited as a number or or a, a star, if you will. I don't want to go here and sit behind another guy. Who cares if I was a five-star? I want to play. You see it every another, year because everybody can't play. And another thing, too, uh, visibly missing out of that top ten – was a team that could have been in the national championship game uh, e- as easy as a loss to uh, to Georgia was Auburn. Auburn not in the top ten, which is a LSU not in the top ten, especially with Coach O. Maybe the recruits couldn't understand him when he was talking to him. Uh, uh, I'm pretty but, sure that uh, was the issue, my man. <laughs> but Notre Dame inching up into the top ten, that's interesting to me. And and maybe college football has become a game of what have you done for me lately as well in the recruiting trail because Notre Dame was up there. But then again, Auburn falls out of the top ten. So very interesting, but that could also be because of the whole uh, Gus Malzahn coaching deal that went on and, and, and things of that nature. I mean, all that's got to play into a young kid's mind, but – the fact that Georgia, that Alabama fell to number nine, just still not even a top five. Uh, yeah, that's me. But we got yeah. we got a caller, oh, Mike. Yeah. So we're going to go ahead and, and go to the caller. Caller, are you with us? Yes, sir. What's going on, man? Mike at Mike at night. What's up? Oh, good to hear you guys again. I've been trying to reach you for the last couple of weeks, but uh, I haven't been able to find you. Well, we do apologize. We were on the air last week. Uh, I believe we took the week off the week before. Ah, all right. So anyway, so, and, uh, we have a big, we have a big upset tonight. St. John's upsets top rank Nova. What? That's right. What? I'm not lying. St. John's beat Villanova 79-75. Wow! Big victory for the uh, Red Storm. Yeah, that First is absolutely. Too. Yeah, what definitely. Is their, that is their record. Um, that is crazy. They are eleven and thirteen, actually, Mike. So not even yeah, a winning yeah. record for St. John. It's their first win versus the number one team since 
1985. That is insane. I, I bet I they're partying on that campus. Wow. I was in the eighth grade then. Amazing. Hey, guys, look it. I mean, college basketball, you know, that's the biggest mystery. No, man. I mean, you got to play every night, and I don't care what's yeah. in front of your jersey. You have a bad game, you're susceptible to lose. That's just how it goes in college basketball. So much parity. Look at the SEC. Mm-hmm. It's sick. It's a log jam. I mean, around the nation, you know, you look at these big top five, power five conferences, yeah. it's night in, night out. And it's definitely hard to win on the road. I don't care who you are. That game was on the road, wasn't it? Um, so, anyway, 12-13 um, overall and the Big East Conference, this is their first win. They're now 1-11. and 11. Wow. What's crazy about that? What's crazy yes. about that, Mike, is Chris Mullen um, was is now the coach at St. John's, played for the right. St. John's team that beat the number one Georgetown Hoyas 66-65 in 1985. Wow, sweet. Yeah. Patrick, you was on that team, right? That was uh, Georgetown. Yeah, he was on that Georgetown team, right? Yes, yes, his senior year. Okay. Okay. And wow. and, and obviously so, looking at the looking at the box scores here, it was thirty nine to thirty four at the half, and then it ends up being Villanova the better team in the second half, forty one to forty. They were almost there. I mean, obviously with a minute thirty four left to go, Villanova pulls into sixty seven sixty six, but just could not get it done and. But like you said, there's so much parity in college basketball that any team, any time can win a game. I mean, you look at what North Carolina has been able to do, and then they have kind of fallen and and fell down. Um, Kentucky, not the team that they used to be. But this doesn't mean – I mean, does this mean a whole lot? No. I mean, this just means – Not at all. No. It's not at all. No. It doesn't mean diddly squat. (laughs) I really wish they would get rid of the poll. It it means a little something, but not monumental. No, you can't put a lot of stock into it, man, because this doesn't have any uh, – this doesn't dictate your postseason fade or your seeding. Or, it's one game. Now, if anything, it's good for uh, Nova to kind of wake them up. How about a bugle? Yeah. yeah, definitely. I mean, anybody could have an off night in college basketball, and you see what oh, happens. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, you see what happens. You've got to come with your best absolutely every night or else you're going to go home with a, with a loss. And that's the crazy thing about this. You can lose to literally anybody in college basketball. Even a 1-11 team in the Big, e, in the big uh, East can come in and uh, – well, not come in. They were actually in the Garden, I believe, tonight. But uh, you can be upset. It's crazy to me to think the parity in college basketball. You know, everybody was talking about the parity in the National Football League this week. Yes. But the parity in college basketball is—it's never going to be touched. I don't think. Yeah, that's not uh, real. No. I mean, you know, um, to be a mid-major doesn't mean anything anymore. It just means that you just got—you know—just as good a chance to win as this Power Five team here. So it doesn't matter in college basketball at all. And another thing, too, guys, if you notice, 
a lot of these mid majors, they're they're veteran led, junior senior led teams. A lot of these power fives are loaded with what? Freshmen, sophomores, sometimes junior sophomores. A lot of times you yeah. meet these teams, they've been playing together two, three years. You're gonna get their best shot, man. You you Absolutely. know they're capable of beating you. They are capable of beating you. So you know. I like it. Absolutely. I, like it I mean, and see, I think that's one of the problems that, say, a Kentucky's fallen into this year is they are facing them veteran-laden teams, and they're, they're, they're unfortunately, you know, falling, and you're seeing the young, you're seeing the youngness of Kentucky going up against some veteran-laden teams, and they're really failing in most cases. Yeah, man, but one thing about Kentucky, I'm slowly seeing, I'm slowly seeing a kick in the armor, man, because you're steady hearing grumbling by Calipari talking about Duke. I mean, poor bastard. You probably average what? A top three recruiting class the last eight years. So we're really feeling sorry for you. You better make sure all your T's across your eyes are dotted before yes. they start investigating your ass. That's what you better worry about. Exactly. Poor, I'm sorry, but. Ugh. I completely you agree with that. One thing a lot of people I haven't seen talk about, but, I mean, to me, ever since he left to go coach the Oklahoma City Thunder, the Florida Gators really are back. You know, they're not back on top of the mountain, so to speak, but they're getting back to that position where I think they're competitive and could potentially be looking in the next few years to be looking at a national title for really the first time since Donovan left. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're talking about a team that's in the SEC, a very balanced, good conference this year that, that's pretty good. Mike White's a solid coach. He played at the University of Ole Miss, so he understands what it takes takes in that league to succeed, to be successful. So, yeah, Florida's, Florida's status quo, man. They probably could have done a little better, but like we said, they're in a conference full of pretty good teams, and it's hard to win on the road. But I really think Florida's a sweet 16-type team. And you know, once you get to the Sweet 16, you win. Anything can happen after that. So, right. Yeah, I look for them to make a run in the tournament. Exactly, and I mean, you look at some of the other teams that picked up W's tonight. Penn State beating Maryland. Maryland really, honestly, hasn't been the same for quite a while. So, I mean, not really a shocker there. Iowa right now locked in a battle with uh, Texas Tech, number seven, forty-one thirty-two. It looks like Iowa still has enough time to potentially uh, come back in that one. And, I mean, Iowa's given Texas Tech a lot more than what I thought they uh, were going to tonight. Hey, guys. Or Iowa State, wrong. excuse me. Uh-huh. Hey, are they playing in uh, Ames? If it's in Ames, Iowa State or Iowa? They're playing Iowa State. They're playing at Texas Tech. Oh, okay. So they love it. Hey, man. First of all, let's tip our hat to Chris Beard. That guy's an outstanding coach. What he did at the University of Arkansas Little Rock was amazing. What he's doing at Texas Tech, he's translated that successful. Let's tip our hat to that guy. Um, that's a that's a conference with a lot of parity too, man. I mean, like we say, you got to show up, you got to play hard every night. Iowa State traditionally has been a feisty team. Now they kind of fell off the grid this year, but. I know that they, they're tough at home, and they always play hard. So, you know, I'm not shocked by any stretch of imagination. You know, it, it, it's tough, man. I mean, you got to come to play every night. you got to execute. Each possession is your last. 
Exactly. And, I mean, while we're talking about parity and we're talking about the SEC, Vanderbilt right now up on Georgia, 74 to 58. Vanderbilt is having a down year wow. this year. Something that shocks me. 9-15 nine, nine against the 13-9 and nine Bulldogs. You're looking at Vanderbilt, you know, really laying a whooping on Georgia, to, so to speak. Yeah. And that really surprises me for quite a bit. And I don't know what surprises I'm, me more, though, the fact that Vanderbilt's having a down year or the fact that they're beating Georgia right now. Guys, uh, Vanderbilt, you know, same fate, you know, in, in a conference, like we said, with, with a lot of good teams. Look at Vanderbilt's schedule. Look at the, look at the win-loss. They've lost a lot of close games. Relatively young team, a uh, good coach of Scott Drew. Y'all probably remember he made the shot years ago when he played for Valparaiso against Ole Miss in the tournament, one of the great tournament moments. But they'll be okay, man. One thing we know about Vanderbilt, those kids are extremely smart. <laughs> we know it's a pretty good basketball good basketball program and that they're young. So he'll get them back on track, man. They just kind of face the same fate as some of these other teams in the league. They lost a lot of close games on the road, uh, lost a couple of games that should have won at home here and there. Um, you know, it's just tough sledding, man. You know, four or five games is the difference between being, what, 13 and something or being, you know, 16, 17 wins and being on the cusp of getting into the NCAA tournament. So, Vanderbilt is a scary team. Um, watch out for them in the SEC tournament, and they're not to be taken lightly, especially at home, especially at I, home. So, yeah. I'm not shocked by that at all. I would completely agree with that, you know. And, yeah, you're right. They are at home. How about this? Ohio State and uh, Purdue really locked in a little bit more of a battle than what I expected. Ohio State on the road at Purdue putting up a little bit of a fight. They are down nine right now uh, with about, let me see here, eight minutes and 11 seconds left. But Ohio State hasn't gone quietly into the night here, so to speak, to Purdue who – Really heavy favorites there in that uh, only losing two games in the Big Ten. Yeah. I didn't hear you. Who'd you say, Mike? Purdue and Ohio State. Purdue is right now only up nine on Ohio State. I mean, Ohio State's a great squad, but really you'd think Purdue would perennially be beating Ohio State by a good 15 by this point. Yeah, man, but you say, man, these teams, it's it's mid-February, early February. This is time for positioning, man, because it's all about conference tournament time. What you do, the tournament, teams on the bubble, kind of on the cusp, they look at your last 10 games. And we're kind of at that point, so it's no room for bad losses. It's really no room for losses at all, especially at home, man. So a lot of these teams, man, you're going to see a lot of close competitive games this time of year. So it's definitely not shocking out of the realm that these guys are fighting tooth and nail for a victory because you're trying to build your, your postseason resume. You're trying to get the lead. And you're also trying to get seeding for your conference tournament. Well, brother, while I got you on the phone here, I do have to ask, because I know you're from the area, what did you think about the Super Bowl Sunday? Did you watch and was it more Brady or was it more Belichick? What do you think as we talk about this? You know, you got to wonder whose legacy's tarnished more at this point. Um, I would think Brady's a bit more tarnished. Now that he's lost three, um, I, don't, I think we can rule out, you know, greatest quarterback ever. 
I think now it's uh, I think it's now um gone. Yeah, I mean you look at ever. Do what now? He said the greatest quarterback ever. I said we can rule that out now. Oh, okay, okay, I get you. Okay. Sorry my friend. Okay, I didn't hear it. You said we can rule it out completely. Not even a, not even a glimpse of maybe or, you know. Mm, why don't we go? Probably not. Okay, where are you base that on? Well, now he's he's he has lost three. I mean, you know, when you compare you compared to like with uh, Montana Bradshaw, who've won um, four, at least. You know, I don't think that Brady, you know. Stacks up as now the all-time great. He'll be he'll be in the, he'll be in the top five, but to say he's the greatest uh, quarterback ever and the greatest Super Bowl quarterback ever, no. I respect well, that. Ask, I mean, caller, let me ask you this, and this was an article that I, I was reading last night uh, because I am a Joe Montana shill. I love Joe Montana. Look, I love Joe Montana. He's 4-0, and I may or may not cup his nutsack while I'm going down on him. That's the bottom line. I'm not going to lie. Look. But here's here's why. I'll give you, and give me just a minute to to get this out here. I'll give you my arguments for and against Tom Brady being the greatest of all time. Okay, so you want me to start with for or against? Start with four. Okay, so four, yeah, start with four. The the main selling point to me for Tom Brady being the greatest quarterback of all times goes down to the fact that here's a guy that came out of college, was not even really wanted to that nobody in college wanted Tom Brady to be the starter, even though anytime he came in, he made the plays and, and made everything possible for them to win the games at Michigan. That he was in. Number two, he has played at a in, in New England, and he has played with. Well, I'm just saying he's played at a team where, let's face it, they've put talent around him, but is it top-notch, grade-A, market-meet value talent? Are they Hall of Famer type talent? No, they're utility players. They just get the job done. Um, you know, this isn't that Detroit Pistons team that went out and stunned the Lakers, but then turned out to be just phenomenal players. This is a group of just blue collar, uh, dust on the boots type players that go out there and break the concrete up and win it. Except for Gronkowski, honestly, uh, these guys, you know, and maybe a running back or two in that career there. But I think Tom Brady's done more with less as a quarterback. Now, that's my argument for Tom Brady, not to mention five Super Bowls. Now, on the other hand, if we go against and we put this on a scale, I think it tips more for against than it does for, and here's why. Number one, Tom Brady has five Super Bowls. How many of those Super Bowls, though, came on the verge of a gentleman named Adam Vinatieri? Mhm. And to be There's honest, I thought when they, I thought when they lost Vinatieri, I didn't. I thought they were done. 
You know, the fact that he's been to eight Super Bowls is impressive. However, he's lost three Super Bowls. Now, can I put all three losses on Tom Brady? No. I think the New York Giants Super Bowl, when they beat the undefeated New England Patriots at that time, chasing the history, I think that they ran up against a buzzsaw in in a Giants team, let's be honest. Can we all be honest and say that that wasn't a 10-6 and six Giants team in the playoffs? When they were healthy, that was a 13-3 and three team at 14-2 right. and two easily. Yes, easily. Now, now, let's look at it this way. If you want to talk about overall work, I still don't believe that Tom Brady is the great – and that's my argument against this. He's, five, he's lost three Super Bowls. Yes. But MVPs are just that. They're subjective to whatever, because let's face it, had Carson Wentz not gone down with an injury, I believe Carson Wentz is your MVP. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Or, for that matter, Antonio Brown could have been your MVP had he not gone down with an injury in the season. I I believe that. You know, so... I don't, and honestly, I don't know how much credence I lend to the MVP award anymore just for the simple fact that it seems like, just like the Heisman, if you're not a running back or a quarterback, you have no legitimate shot at the Heisman, even though subjectively speaking, I've seen many a case where a defensive player who's played outstanding all year round in college could have gotten the, the Heisman or a defensive player in the NFL could have gotten the MVP, but they're not going to give it to the 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 workers of the NFL. They're going to give it to the guy who gets the spotlight. And unfortunately, those are your quarterbacks, your running backs, and even wide receivers don't get a lot of the love because they'll go, well, who threw him the ball? He doesn't make a shit who threw him the ball. He still has to go make the catch. That's my opinion. But, you know, so the MVP to me is overrated in a lot of ways. Exactly. You're right, man. Um, the the section is, is gone out of it, man. I mean, it's almost subjective, like you say, quarterbacks. And, you know, we should get about the small guys, if you will. But, but what's his name from uh, Philadelphia? Falshawn. Guys like that, that really make a big oh, yeah. impact. Sure. Well, let's talk about most valuable players. Let's talk about uh, the cat that created the fumble. That, to me, was the most valuable play of that Super Bowl. I mean, I don't know if Nick Foles deserved the MVP over that guy or Alshon Jeffrey didn't deserve the MVP or those running backs by committee that didn't go down on first contact that kept pushing forward and pushing forward. There's, to me, I don't know. I mean, but no, to, but going back, you know, there are some things about Tom Brady that I go, man, you know what? Tom Brady's an awesome he's, – he's a great talent. Do not get me wrong. And I'll go as far to say top three quarterbacks. But here's the, here's the deal also is we go back and look at these quarterbacks and we're all going back to a certain time period. You go further back than that, there's been guys that were absolutely phenomenal that we forget about. Roger Staubach, guys like that that oh, played, yeah. you know, I mean – you know, the air, the game has changed so much, but we're talking about three yards in a cloud of dust, and these guys still found a way to shine at quarterback when a quarterback at that time was only known for take the ball, turn around, hand it to your workhorse, and get off the field. Yes. Definitely. 
Definitely. Exactly. Gotta agree with that, man. But you know, it's, it, like you said, Brad, a lot of it's a popularity contest too. You know, what's the popular pick? You know. Well, I want to. Always... Mike, Michael just brought up something to me, uh, Mike, and I want to hear. So, Mike, explain this out loud because they can hear you, and then I'll answer you back. He used you mentioned something about Tom Brady. Please explain to me how Tom Brady has changed the game of football. He ain't changed no damn game of football. They don't change the rules. Are <laughs> oh, you talking about all the cars he got? No, you talking about all the cars in the car? Oh, Paul. What do you mean? Mike, if you is, yes or no, since 2000, the New England Patriots are the best team in NFL history. Since 2000, in that span, from 2000 to 2018, the New England Patriots are the best team in football, correct or not? Since when? Since 2000. From 2000 to 2018, are the New England Patriots not the best team in football? Uh, Yeah. Uh, yep. Okay. So who do you put that on? Bill Belichick or Tom Brady? Put an asterisk by it, man, because they were they were on the the good side of a lot of calls. Mm-hmm. I agree. That's what too, man. Yeah, we, we got we cannot keep that out. We can't. I agree. I agree. But do you give credit for that to Tom Brady or Bill Belichick? The referees. <laughs> <laughs> You give credit where credit is due, right? We do. Hey, Mike, I'm going to read this to you. This is very interesting to me. This came from an article written in 2015 of February 10th. I want you to, I want, I'm going to read all uh, 10 reasons, and then I want you to, to respond back, Mike, or the caller. Okay, these are the top 10 reasons that Tom Brady is not the greatest of all of all time. Number 10, the tuck, tucking up is basically what it is. And it was the tuck rule. Uh, padded stats. He's basically saying after 2007, the Patriots ran up the score against pitiful teams. Uh, number eight, the worst play call in Super Bowl history. Tom Brady won his fourth ring after having benefited from the worst play call in the Super Bowl against with Seattle. Uh Here's here's one that I thought was very interesting. Offense moves the sticks, but defense wins championships. Brady was not the main reason for his first three Super Bowls. They were gifted to him by a legendary Pats defenses that were able to hold the greatest show on turf to a measly 17 points, hold uh-huh. down Donovan McNabb's high-flying Eagles. Uh, so there you go. Uh, Matt Castle's 2008 campaign is the reason they're saying he's not the greatest. He's got 145 yards and and playoff losses. For his first three Super Bowls, Tom Brady rests on the laurels of New England's illustrious defenses during the 01 postseason. Brady threw for 312 yards against Oakland, 115 against Pittsburgh, and for just 145 yards in the Super Bowl against St. Louis that year. John Elway and Terry Bradshaw. Um, Bradshaw being the first quarterback to win four Super Bowls. Um, Belichick advantage. Uh, not better than your average Joe. They're basically saying that – well, I'll read this one. I'll read this one because it's, it's very interesting. After Seattle fell to New England, both Montana and Brady have four Super Bowls and three Super Bowl MVPs to their names. 
But these are where the similarities end. And that, and the granted, this was three years ago. Uh, Montana has always remained calm and cool under pressure, leading his team to 31 fourth-quarter comebacks over the span of his career. His most famous came in the Super Bowl when Montana led his team 92 yards down the field in just two and a half minutes, capping off the drive with a 10-yard pass to John Taylor. I believe they called that the drive and the catch, I believe is what they called it. But you have that one. And then how tarnished is Tom – and this is the last point in my argument – how tarnished is Tom Brady's legacy as the greatest of all time when you have such controversies as Spygate and Deflategate? Right. Thank you, my friend. Yes. <laughs> That's my issue. That is my issue with the whole thing right there. The, the, the divine intervention, if you will. You know? I just, yeah, I would yeah, love yeah. to say that I think Tom Brady's a great talent. I would I would say that Tom Brady did a lot of things he wasn't expected to do coming out of college, a poor combine. And let's be honest, Mike, we talked about it before. Tom Brady could have easily been donning a, a, a San Francisco jersey to this at this point in time and had the tutelage of a Bill Walsh, and maybe he could have been better than what he was now. But – the point of the matter is, well, I, but I think that I think there, but I don't think you have the same circumstances that you had in New England, and that's my deal. You know, I forget all about Matt Castle taking over and having just as much success, if not more, than Tom Brady did. Yeah. It does kind of matter, but it's been so long ago. There's been so much transition in in, in, in NFL football. And the fact that, you know, obviously I don't follow the AFC as much as I do the NFC being based as an NFC fan. But, you know, Garoppolo, for that matter, Garoppolo comes out and starts off 5-0. and And let's face it, he's in the same system Tom Brady was in. So does that just mean they develop decent quarterbacks out there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, uh, you gotta give credit where credit is due. Now, that don't mean that they're outstanding talents, but yeah, they develop great quarterbacks out there. So, you know, it, it starts at the top, man. They have great coaching. They have great coaches, great system. And we appreciate our caller. We'll put you on hold and and, and let you allow you to listen in. Um, but Mike, I mean, to be com- to be completely fair about it, you can't take away from Tom Brady's five Super Bowls, but I heard you mention something about Michael Jordan and the unknown statistic or the overlooked statistic in all of this when you're comparing greats, and I guess it's comparable to the NFL and the NBA, is that you look at, you go back and you look at Michael Jordan's record in the overall playoffs, and LeBron James legitimately has a better record in the first part of the NBA playoffs than Michael Jordan does. LeBron James has never lost a first round in the NBA playoffs where Michael Jordan has. So it's Apple, you know, I mean, it's tit for tat type crap when you go to compare some of that stuff. Right. Jordan is a. No, you're not. Mike, let me ask you. Hold on. Mike. Mike. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. But in that. Okay, Mike, did you just. Did you just hear what he said? Did you hear what he said? 
He said quarterbacks are more protected in the Brady era than the Montana era. So by your admission there, then you're telling me that Joe Montana is the greatest of all time because he wasn't protected as, as Tom Brady was. Back then you could get a Zamboni out on the field and run a quarterback over and it's and it's considered a sack. I don't think Tom Brady and I I think that Tom Brady in the 80s would shit. I think that Tom Brady in the 80s would do exactly what he had as long as he had Bill Belichick. But now, but with crutching him as having Bill Belichick, then he's not the greatest of all time because Joe Montana, I honestly think Joe Montana. I disagree with that. He was not, and he's right. when he went to Kansas City. I disagree Man, with that. He was at a high level in Kansas City at 40 years old in his late 30s. He played at a high level then. They made a playoff run, too. They right? made a playoff run, but did they win the Super Bowl? <laughs> they didn't win Super Bowls, Mike. So you got to say no? that Joe Montana's career after San Francisco took a letdown. Uh, I wouldn't go that far, man. I wouldn't say a letdown. Brian? I wouldn't say it was a letdown. He went to Kansas City, for God's sakes. And that was in 
No, and I won't give up Joe Montana. <laughs> Plus, John Taylor was a fucking wide receiver okay, anyway. If you say Joe Montana, then you have to say Michael Jordan is still the greatest of all time because honestly, it was a different league back then too. No, nah, it's yeah, completely different league. Now you can hold the ball. Now you can do a lot of different stuff. Am I right or wrong, Mike? And by the way, smartass, Dwight Clark was a fucking tight end for Joe Montana. Dwight Clark was a tight end. John Taylor was a wide out. Right or wrong, two completely different times in the NBA between Michael Jordan and LeBron James. Right or wrong? Yeah, but my thing is, we know Michael could have succeeded in today's NBA. Could LeBron have succeeded succeeded in in the league back then? I disagree. well, he had a magnitude of success that he has now because it was a different Bingo. NBA, Mike. You could get fucking clothesline, and they didn't give a damn. LeBron wouldn't like that. These guys now are protected. But, Mike, let me say this, and I'm a LeBron fan as big as anybody can ever be. And, and I'm going to tell you this. Here's why I think Joe Montana – Joe Montana – Jesus. Here's why I think LeBron would exceed and excel in that NBA that they played in. Number one, his size, his versatility, his mobility. He's a physical player. And I think that you, I think LeBron, and here's why I say LeBron, does LeBron, you say LeBron can't get hit, but I'd beg to differ in the aspect that LeBron also played football before he played basketball. And he was a damn good football player as well. I think LeBron takes advantage of the NBA as it is today. But I think if you have an era of mental toughness, here's what I say. If you replace LeBron James, uh, Michael Jordan with LeBron James on that team, I think you get the same results. I think you get the same results that Michael Jordan came up with. And here's why. Because I think both players are equal and I, the only reason I give the nod to LeBron in, in a certain sense is because of his size and his athleticism for his, a, a man of his size. But I think that if you gave LeBron James the same cast of characters that Le, Michael Jordan did, you'd have the same results. And the fact that both Michael Jordan and LeBron James did something that was unbelievable to me, and that was take their teams. Actually, LeBron taking Cleveland his first year or whatever when they lost to – was it the Spurs? But I'm saying taking Cleveland to the finals that year that he had nobody around him was – no, Jordan would have never beat the one. Let me ask you this. Does Jordan win a ring the year that Cleveland lost in the, the before LeBron got the super team? No way. No. Mike, let's – Mike, be honest. First of all, dude, Michael Jordan, you're telling me Michael Jordan didn't uh, build a team? Fuck off. (laughs) Fuck off. Are you fucking kidding me? He had Scottie Pippen, fucking uh, uh, Dennis Rodman. God damn, you're fucking retarded. You were still in a nutsack when Michael Jordan was putting teams together, bitch. Michael Jordan, here's why I tell you Michael Jordan wins that series. Because Michael Jordan kicked in the ass of his teammates. Mike, Michael Jordan wins that series. Do I? 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 Do I?
Yes, he was. And here's why. Because Jordan's a competitor. LeBron isn't. LeBron does not have the drive. Period. End of story. Fact. It's been said how many times that LeBron has zero drive in competitiveness. LeBron has zero. Mike, who's more competitive? And I'll even give you out of the three, rank them top to bottom. Who has the most competitiveness? Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, and LeBron James. Most competitive top to bottom. In order. In order, yeah, Patterson. We can sit here to the end of time and discuss this, man. Both great players. It's hard to compare eras, as we already know. But, you know, you got a case for each guy. But with this quarterback thing, it's hard to say, you know, Brady is the greatest from the standpoint cool Joe undefeated. Mike, can I ask you one question, Mike? Just, me, Mike. just because he brought it up. Let's, okay. I'm not even going to argue the fact that he says LeBron's not competitive because LeBron goes out and does what he has to do. Let's be honest, Mike. I mean, Mike, I'm, see, now, see Bill O'Reilly over here. Bill O'Reilly won't let a motherfucker talk when I'm about to prove him wrong. <laughs> so then shut your fucking mouth and let me finish and ask Mike Pettis, a, an independent party here. Okay, uh, how many times has LeBron shouldered that Cleveland Cavaliers team and took them on his back? Does that not mean you want to do the fucking show? Okay, shouldering it, shouldering a team just shows he relies on his talent. It doesn't mean he's competitive. But anyway, continue, Mike. (laughs) I'm listening, man. I'm getting a kick out of this. Sucking off motherfucker talking. The fact of the matter is, does number one, does Michael Jordan win that first uh, NBA Finals that uh, LeBron lost with Cleveland if he was in Cleveland? No, I don't. Nope, because no, he didn't don't. have shit with him, and it's been proven. He didn't win a ring until he got talent with him. Mike, did you not just say that? Yeah, yeah he had to... So, uh... He had to build to the point where, you know. He had a Hall of Famer in Scottie Pippen. Hall of Famer in Scottie Pippen. Hall of Famer Dennis Rodman. Bill Cartwright. A whole uh, Steve Kerr. Boot had talent, let's be honest. You don't win championships without talent. Uh, Who brought him to that level? The fact that he's put Cleveland in a situation every year he's been to Cleveland, he's put them in a situation to make the finals. That's pretty impressive. I don't know if I would say all star. Oh my God, Mike, who do you think's had the better teams? Mike Pettis, who do you think's had the better surrounding overall talent down the board from top to bottom? Has it been a LeBron team or a Kobe team or a Jordan team? Who's had the best talent around them? Bottom line. It's going to be Michael Cole because LeBron ain't, I mean. Oh, my God. I think. The way you play, fucking Kyrie Irving, fucking goddamn Predator in fucking Miami. Scotty Cooper, Dennis Rodman, Tommy Kukos. I mean, come on, man. I love Michael Jordan. 
Lamar Odom. Wow, he's are you so you're telling me that if Scottie Pippen never met Michael Jordan, he would have been a bum. But that doesn't, that's not because he's demanding talent. That's because he's got another successful player with him. That doesn't mean that Michael Jordan goes, all right, I'm going to bestow my magical powers on you, Scotty, and you're going to win rings. Hell yeah, they won rings because they assembled an all-star cast. Just like Kobe and Shaq, when they teamed up together, Kobe didn't make Shaq better. Shaq was a fucking force to begin with. Just like when Kyrie Irving was in Cleveland. LeBron didn't make Kyrie better. Kyrie was fucking great. He might have had talent, but it takes. But that's not a matter. That's just a matter of putting the right talent together. That doesn't mean either one of them built anybody up. You just put the right people together. Was you know like Jerry Rice? Jerry Rice is a great fucking wide receiver, but it took a quarterback like Joe Montana and him together to to showcase each other's talents, just like Jordan showcased his talent with Scottie Pippen and those guys. Kobe showcased his talent with all the talent around him. I think if you does he had anybody equal? Not so much, maybe. But I mean, but I mean, Amendola's not a bad wide receiver. He may not be the flashy, setting stats, record setting Jerry Rice style, but it doesn't take a superstar if you've got guys that are willing to put it out there on the line week in week out, and they can just make the play, and you put a these solid defense behind them. You don't have to be super great. You all you got to do is follow a system. Castle proved it. Fifteen and was he fifteen and one that year? I mean, dude, I'm not arguing that Tom Brady doesn't deserve him being talked about as one of the greatest of all times. But I'm not saying he's the greatest of all times. I'm pretty sure that if you went back and all. Then if you're going to give Bill Belichick the credit for winning those games and you have to give Bill Belichick, which you didn't do when we were watching Undisputed a little while ago, the clips, you said it wasn't Belichick's fault they lost. Well, then if he can't have he can't have his fucking cake and eat it too. If, if Belichick got outcoached, Tom Brady, in all honesty, I'll admit it, Mike, I will say this. Tom Brady okay. did everything he could to will the Patriots to victory. The fucker threw for 505 yards. Okay. Right. He did. And by the way, in 2010, Castle led the Chiefs to their first uh, playoff. He, he, did everything in his, he did everything in his power to win with Victor. You give him that. Brad, you got to give him that. He did everything in his to win with Victor, but it didn't happen. I just think that they overlooked Philadelphia. I think that they came in with this. I think the Atlanta victory did more harm to them than anything. I think once they got past Jacksonville, they seriously what they saw. I think what they saw was a Philadelphia team that limped into the Super Bowl with a backup quarterback. I need help here, Hicks. You said it a couple of weeks ago, man. Okay, let's take let's take the first Super Bowl, Philadelphia. Who doesn't hit that field goal, they lose, right? Okay. Let's go back to the Seattle. The Tuck Rule. 
Okay, yeah, I, I'm really talking about Super Bowls here, but yeah, we can talk about that too. But let's go to the show. game, game prepared them for the Super Bowl. To, you in the ball to beast mode, they lose that game. Let's go back to last year. If you didn't have a debacle with Atlanta, so we're talking, we're really talking, it's a whole different conversation now when you lose to Seattle, Atlanta. You know, yeah, you're looking at the possibility of Tom Brady actually being three and five in Super Bowls and not five and three. Right. You look at the benefit of the uh, right. And like you said, it wouldn't have been a Super Bowl win for the tough rules. That particular year. If Oakland wins that game, they go on to play probably in a Super Bowl. And Tom Brady's. Uh, no, Tom Brady could easily be three and five in Super Bowls and not five and three. If we're going to go by. If we're going to go by just a comparable stats, yes. But you want to know, and to be honest with you, first of all, you want clutch differences, let's go to Eli Manning in the playoffs. The dude owns the New England Patriots in the playoffs, not to mention at one time he was 9-1 and one in the playoffs. So it, it's a matter, and, it, and honestly, it's all about clutch performances. You gotta have them to be the greatest of all time. You gotta have well, them. You gotta have them. You gotta have them. Then Dan Marino. Then Dan Marino. The son of a bitch threw for seventy thousand yards. <laughs> but it's well, not about the performances. But nothing to show for, but attacking and can't. But I understand that. But what I'm telling Michael is, though, is just. But that then that's the problem. Then 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 therefore, if you've never okay, then then in that aspect, with championships out of the picture, Barry Sanders is a fucking average running back that never deserves any mention as being one of the greats ever because he's got zero titles. No, you can't say well, like shit. you said. You're right. You just playing baseball. Barry Sanders is the greatest running back to ever grace the field. Or you could go just. Well, that's because he's got. That's because the world is based on what you bring to the table, hardware-wise, and not what you bring to the table. If Barry Sanders had been playing for any other team besides Detroit, who's only been known to fuck water up and fucking build cars and fill a stadium with a shit product, I'm telling you right now. <laughs> That's the three things that Detroit's known for. Shitty water, stupid fucking fans that sell out a shit product, and fucking build fucking Fords. I'm done. No. Cleveland's won a fucking title. What's the... Okay, excuse me. They know how to fucking skate on ice and slap a fucking tuck around. I'll give the Red Wings that shit. But you know what? They found out in Michigan that if you freeze the fucking nasty-ass water and skate on it, at least it's fucking usable. Wow. That's all I'm saying. Well, 
Robin Lowe was was a great player, but I mean, uh, I can give you another player that you've never probably even think about, and that's Jerome Brown. That dude was a beast. Oh, he was a fucking stud of Philadelphia. They couldn't have got the killer D line they had with him, um, 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 the late great uh, Reverend Henry uh, out um, place for the Packers. Uh, what's his mm-hmm. name? Tell me up, man. You know that Reggie White has passed away? Yep. Jerome Brown, Reggie White, who was the third on that team? I mean, there's just so many players. I mean, like, let's put it to you this way. Like, Christian Okoye at one time was considered a great running back till he met Steve Atwater. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, yeah, that kind of. Change the whole complexion of that deal. Okay, well, I tell you right now, let's take let's take all five Super Bowls away from Tom Brady. Does Tom Brady still make your greatest of all times? But do you mention him in the greatest of all times? Oh. Probably not. I say top ten, maybe top five. Hard top five. And and unfortunately, in a team, that's why I say, when you say greatest of all times, no, no, no. Let me finish. When you say greatest of all times, and we go sports, sports, sports. I know everybody's gonna, everybody's gonna kind of look at me and think I'm crazy. I and and Mike, let me finish with this one. I don't think that Tiger Woods is the greatest golfer of all times. And he plays an individual sport. No. Because I think I don't think that, that I don't think that, that uh I don't think that Tiger Woods is the greatest golfer of all time. I'm talking about oh Mike's gone. Uh but anyway and, and I'll elaborate on that, Mike. I here's why I don't think Tiger Woods is the greatest of all time. I think what Tiger was able to do was amazing. I think it was absolutely stunning. But you look at what he's had the benefit of having. Technology, better driver, better irons, better I mean we're talking about guys that were hitting with wooden 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 drivers and nylon wound golf balls. Now, I, But has technology gotten better in the sense of a guy who still uses a football and a basketball to do? No. I, two different things. A, a golfer relies more on the equipment and his ability to use such equipment. But I think you have to have a better, a preciser movement when dealing. I played golf. I have used to have a set of Wilson Wooden uh, drivers. They're about this big. They're not the oversized forgiving woods. I'm not saying Tiger Woods isn't great, but I just think I think the only time you can measure greatest of all times is when you go to individual sports. Nadal, Federer, um, golf's that way. Anything that doesn't require a team, you know. And, and maybe you don't have the all-stars, but what if, just what if, just what if possibility. We're fixed to go off the air, but my little segment will still be here uh, past if you want to listen to it after we go off. But what I'm saying is, is maybe you have 22 players on that 22 players on that field that 
as a unit as a in their chemistry, maybe just maybe they equal a superstar because of their chemistry and the way they've gelled together. Because has has there been a whole lot of turnover in New England? I'm, but I've always said that it could be a system in New England. I would really, honestly, I wish we could. I really wish we could go back in time and put Tom Brady on. Let's let's put Tom Brady somewhere on a mediocre team, and let's see what let's see what Tom Brady does in Detroit, because they've been successful with uh, the cat from Georgia, and they've been successful with Megatron. But if Tom Brady is a superstar and he's the greatest of all time, then he will find a way for Detroit to become. A legitimate contender. Well, I remember watching the Patriots teams before they sucked. I think they had a one decent year, I believe, when uh, I believe they had one decent year the year that um, Shithead was there. Um, no, um, oh my God, uh, the guy I can't stand at Seattle, Pete Carroll. But Parcells was great, to, and he may have started the movement in New England. And Bill, Bill, but Belichick learned under Parcells. But, you know, I'll be honest with you, and coaching-wise in the NFL, a guy that doesn't get a lot of mention, who I think is a really great coach, is Tom Coughlin. Tom Coughlin's influence at Jacksonville this year. had success in New York, he had success at Jacksonville, he had, you know, now he even had success at Jacksonville before. One thing I want to get Jimmy Johnson. Where's Jimmy Johnson's name in all this? Bill Walsh, George Seifert. Um, uh, you, I, I think the fact that he wasn't in it long. I think the fact that he did what he did, I mean, he basically made the Dallas Cowboys relevant in the nineties again. They have they were relevant in the seventies. They fell off in the eighties. Obviously the eighties was an era dominated by the forty ers And then you had the nineties, you had the Cowboys. But let's be honest in that same regard, you replace a coach like Tom Landry. Tom Landry was a great coach too. Yeah. But Barry Switzer probably benefited from a lot of the same things that, that you know. I mean, I don't even remember Switzer winning a damn Super Bowl. Before we go, I do want to ask you this. Uh, with Josh McDaniels being – with Josh McDaniels leaving Indianapolis in the, like a thief in the night to go back to Indianapolis – or to go back to New England, excuse me, that still leaves the head coaching vacancy. If you're – think that if you go with a because Jack Del Rio is the only guy that made me scratch my head as far as being fired 
I, I think if you go with Josh McDaniel, you're not going to succeed. I don't think you'll succeed. If you want dilly dally, dilly dilly dilly. Um, if you don't succeed, you're not going to succeed with Josh McDaniel, especially once you lose your quarterback. It's already been proven. Unless he's learned his lesson and come back and and does the right thing, I think you don't see a lot of assistant coaches succeed too much. I mean, the the record the the records have yet to be written uh, about Shanahan in, in San Francisco. We'll see. Um, obviously, but I mean, obviously, you look at success. I mean, he, the signs point to it. He's they finished 12th in total offense in the NFL last year. Defense was suspect, but that's because they lost so much talent uh, over the years. But anyway, Josh McDaniel. I don't know if Indianapolis could ever get back. I think they have. Holy, oh, I'm tired. I don't. I think they. Um, I think they had something with, with uh, Peyton there, and then they lost it. And Andrew Luck, um, yeah, but then they go ahead. Who was that running back? Edgerton James? Yeah. I mean, you know. Now, actually, real quick, I know I was But anyways, before you finish that, I'm going to go ahead and tell everybody out there good night and uh, let it, Michael Carnahan wrap the show up. Uh, appreciate Mike Pettis for joining us tonight. Got a little heated there at the end, but that's because Michael Carnahan – Thinks he knows everything about football, even though he doesn't. And he really doesn't. He's a Pittsburgh fan, and he sucks Roethlisberger off in a hotel room, willingly or unwillingly. It doesn't matter. Well, that was a wonderful introduction. I'm sure that was my favorite of all time. But, ladies and gentlemen, I guess that's pretty much going to wrap us up here tonight. We're going to turn out the lights here on this episode of Mike and Mike. We'll be back next week to talk more college football, college basketball, college everything, and NFL and professional sports. If it happens in sports, it happens right here on Mike and Mike. We'll see you next week, everybody. Turn out the lights. The party's over. They say that all good things must end. Call it a night The part is over